I tell people, you know, when the first African-American president, which is Cheryl Willard, uh, when she became president, it was an occasion, a historic celebration of the first time. Mm -hmm. When Toyja Kelly became president, it was an affirmation that it could happen again. When I became president, the third one, now all of a sudden, it is a habit. It is something that young attorneys of color can look at and say, I can absolutely do this. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Answering Legal's Everything Except the Law podcast. I am your host, Nick Worker. If this is your first time tuning in, this is the podcast where we share expert advice on all the parts of running a law firm that attorneys weren't exactly trained for back in law school. Now, we're taping this episode of Everything Except the Law during the month of February, which, of course, is Black History Month. And today, we'll be speaking with someone who is currently making history in the legal profession. For the first time ever, four of the United States Top Bar Association are being led by Black presidents, and we're lucky enough to have one of those presidents on with us today to discuss this historic moment. Uh, Douglas K. Burrell, president of the DRI, the voice of the defense bar, is here with me now. Douglas, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. So um, can you introduce yourself to the audience and, uh, and tell us a little bit about your journey working in law? Yes, my name is Douglas Burrell. I am a partner with Juelco and Farnham Law Firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and as uh, Nick said, I am president of DRI. DRI is a, uh, the largest association of civil defense attorneys and in-house counsel in the world. My journey to law, I, I'm originally from the state of Iowa. Uh, I played college football for the University of Iowa. And after um, graduating, I worked uh, for a few years in corporate America, began working on an MBA when one day, one fateful day, uh, the corporation heads gathered all of management together and said, hey, we're going to fire so many of you guys. And if you don't, if we don't fire you, you're going to continue. And if we do, we're going to escort you down to personnel and process you and escort you out of the building. I was lucky enough to survive that day, but that day was fundamental for me because it made me ask myself two questions. What is it that you really want to do and what do you need to do to get there? And I realized I did not want to continue working in corporate America and 20, 30 years later, uh, somebody do the same thing to me when I have a wife, a kid, and mortgage, and all of a sudden, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And so I answered the question, which was, I want to be a lawyer, which is what I had always wanted to do. But when I was done playing football, I was tired and just wanted a job and didn't want to continue in school. And so I answered that question. And then the next one is, what do you have to Next thing is, what do you have to do to get there? Which was obviously I had to apply and be accepted to law school, but I also had to look at my finances. And I looked at my finances and I calculated that in six months, I would have a sufficient amount of money that I could be in school full time. So I applied to law school, I got accepted. 
And um, fortunately for me, Iowa had a joint program with the MBA program. So I, um, in that six months between the time they fired people and, and, and when the fall semester began, uh, I completed uh, my first year of MBA. Uh, at that point, I then took, uh, did my first year of law school and then mixed classes and got what's called a joint law MBA degree, uh, which was one of the best things for me. And at that point, I started practicing law uh, in the state of Iowa, where I'm from. Uh, I met my wife, who is a television news anchor, and realized that um, I was going to have to move with her if, if we were going to have a relationship that worked. And uh, she got a job as the main female news anchor uh, at the CBS affiliate in Macon, Georgia. And I looked at the map, and Atlanta was 75 miles to the north. And I thought, this can work. And, uh, and, and we moved, and we got married. And uh, I've been in Atlanta for 21 years now. Uh, been practicing law at my firm for that length of time. Wow, that's awesome. Um, I too would move if uh, if my wife said she had to leave for a job because she's much more important than I am. Uh, just out of curiosity, <laughs> what position did you play in college? Uh, well, we called it defensive end, but it was re it's really outside linebacker because we played a 5-2 uh, uh, front. So awesome. Yeah. I can imagine being tired and, and wanting to just make a little money. Um, but, uh, I'm curious. So obviously you had a long journey to get to, uh, to practice law and then, you know, had to travel, uh, to get to Georgia, but what was your motivation for wanting to become president of DRI and, uh, and how long had you, had you been working towards that position? Well, first of all, my, my, original goal was not to be president of DRI. My original goal was to go to DRI's very first diversity seminar because the brochure said, listen to in-house tell you what you need to do to get their business. And that was extremely intriguing to me because I was trying to figure out how to grow a book of business. And so I went to that first seminar I listened to what people had to say about rainmaking and I was hooked. And so I just wanted to get involved in the organization so I could continue to learn the things that I needed to learn how to be a successful rainmaker. And in my opinion, one of the most important things is how do you ask for business? Hmm. And how do you put yourself in position where clients want to give you business? And those are things that I learned from being involved in DRI. And my involvement went from just being a committee member to then being the vice chair of the committee. And the minute I became the vice chair of the committee, uh, a wider world for me, because all of a sudden I was in a, DRI has a leadership conference every year. All of a sudden I was in a room of all the leaders of the organization. And I was able to learn from them. And as I then became the chair of DRI's diversity committee, so it was a four-year journey, two years as vice chair, two years as chair, I learned from them. And I wanted to keep learning. And so the next step was to be a member of DRI's board of directors, which is a three-year um, stint. And so I declared my candidacy to be a board member. 
And now when you're a board member, you're one of 36 people. Uh, and, and as uh, a former president, Mike Weston told me, he said, Douglas, you are now one of the leaders of the defense bar in America. And so this group of 36 people, I learned even more from them. Well, at that point, I wanted to give back and I wanted to continue. And so then I declared my candidacy to be an officer in DRI. And eventually I got there. And so I didn't, I, I didn't start off trying to be president of DRI. I started off just trying to learn. And, and the process of learning kept driving me forward. And, uh, and that's, that's how I'm here today. And so still I'm learning, I'm learning leadership, uh, not just rainmaking anymore. It's, it's leadership, how to lead a, a large organization, how to get people to follow me because people don't have to uh, follow me. That's a choice they make. And they have to be able to, I have to convince them every day to follow the vision that I set forth for this organization uh, and, and to keep that vision going forward once I'm no longer the president. So it's, it all started with just a desire to learn how to develop a book of business and it has grown into the leadership of this great organization. That's awesome. I love that. You know, you just started out. Um, I'm just trying to figure out how to make money, man. I'm just trying to build a book of business. Am I, uh, am I muted or something? You were for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. But uh, no, I, I just, I, I find it so interesting. I love to hear that, like people's motivation. Like I didn't want to be the president. I just wanted to learn how to make some money, build a book of business. And then it turned into, well, I learned all of that. And now I really want to give that back to the, uh, to the community that really helped me. Um, but as I mentioned in the, in the intro for the first time in, in, in really American history, four of the country's top bar associations are led by black presidents. Um, I'm curious, how does that, how does hearing that statement make you feel? And, uh, and what does it mean to you to be part of such a, of, of an historic moment? First of all, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing that it happened because each of us are on our own, we're on our own separate journeys. It was not like we knew each other and said, hey, let's all try and be presidents of these respective organizations. Uh, I knew Reginald Turner, who's the president, current president of the ABA, but I did not know Nevan Ward Jr., who was the president of the plaintiff's bar, the AAJ, until a year before he became president. Uh, I did not know Carlos Moore until this occurred. On top of all that, I am only the third African-American president or person of color to be president of DRI. Wow. It's my understanding that Reggie Ward is only the fourth African-American or person of color to be president of the ABA. And the Van Ward Jr. is only the second person of color to be president of the AAJ, the plaintiff's bar. So a lot of things had to happen simultaneously for all of us to be here at the same time. And that's why when you ask me, um, how do I feel when I hear that? Amazed, amazed that so many different things in, in these four organizations had to happen at the same time 
for the four of us to be here serving together at the same time. Uh, and it makes me extremely proud because um, I've met with all four, or, or the other three, the four of us back in September. Uh, they are an incredible group of leaders. And it was just inspiring to be in the room with them. We had a dinner together that lasted several hours where we talked and got to know each other. Uh, we talked about our organizations and it was just awe-inspiring to be in the same room with uh, those guys and to be in this group with them. I love that. Um, I'm curious about uh, what do you, can you talk a little bit about like the, the significance of having uh, these associations being led by black presidents and, uh, and the type of impact that this could and should have on the profession moving forward? Yeah, thank you. Well, the sig significance is, again, there's only been a few before us. Mm -hmm. I, I, For instance, with DRI, I tell people, you know, when the first African-American president, which is Cheryl Willard, uh, when she became president, it was an occasion, a historic celebration of the first time. Mm -hmm. When Toyja Kelly became president, it was an affirmation that it could happen again. When I became president, the third one, now all of a sudden, it is a habit. It is something that young attorneys of color can look at and say, I can absolutely do this. It is not a fluke. It is not a unique situation. Mm -hmm. So the minute you get to number three and beyond, it is something that can absolutely occur. And that's what me as number three represents. Well, when you go to the AAJ and the Van Ward Jr. is number two, and there's a person coming up behind him that will be number three, it, then that's the same thing. So there can be more people of color who will be president of the plaintiff's bar. And for the ABA, Reginald Turner is number four, wow. which means it is now, it is a habit. It is something that can just happen. It is, an, the door of opportunity is wide open. And so when you look at us and what we're doing individually in our organizations, it says that the door of opportunity for people of color is wide open. And people can come from the rank and file and work their way to be presidents of these organizations if they make the commitment and if they have a little bit of luck too, because it does take some luck. There is, there is a certain amount of politics involved and not, not in a negative way, but you know, people have to like you and trust, mm -hmm. believe that you can be someone who can lead this, or, this organization. And that's the political aspect is because they have to seeing you and interact with you enough to believe that you can be that leader to run the organization. And I was fortunate enough that there were enough people who believed that about me that allowed me to do it. And so then when you put four of us together in, in the four largest bar organizations, what it says is that there were people in each of our respective organizations who believed enough in us that they felt we could run and lead these organizations into the future. And, and what's really amazing 
is we're all presidents trying to lead our organizations into a post-COVID world. So we are really, our, our leadership is one of, of leading into the future. And I don't know that people necessarily thought of us that way when they put us in line to be the president of our organizations, but it happened to be that way. And so to me, that's it's even more of something to be proud of because there's four, at, at one time, four African-Americans leading the four major org organizations into a post-COVID world. We will be right back with the show after this short message. Who doesn't want to be a successful attorney with a busy practice, but still have that life? Having those lunch breaks, playing golf, going on vacation, answering legal allows you to. My name is Laura Pfeiffer Battalora. I'm an attorney founding member of the Battalora Law Group. Our headquarters is in Brooklyn, but we represent people all over the state of New York. The process of getting started with answering legal couldn't have been easier. It was so seamless. They're so efficient, the message will pop up on my phone. It'll pop up in my email. Answering legal allows me to have a personal life, a more balanced life, and it also helps me to be a better attorney. It saves time, it helps you grow your practice without you even realizing it. Getting started with Answering Legal is the best thing that we've ever done. It pays off in spades. It's been amazing. I couldn't live without them, really. I'm very interested to hear um, what are some of the what some of the bigger things uh, that you hope to accomplish during your time as as president of the DRI are, and uh, if that has any alignment or collaboration with the other three presidents uh, you've mentioned of the other three bar organizations. Well, one of them is is continually the growth of diversity and inclusion in our organization. Uh, and diversity and inclusion means everybody. Sometimes people believe that diversity and inclusion means that you exclude white males. And that's, that's, not, that's not the case because diversity and inclusion means every voice matters, right? Every voice matters. And so, um, you know, one of my goals is to identify and continue to groom white males who want to one day lead this organization, mm -hmm. which if you think about it, then what you're saying is you're having an African-American male mentor a white male, which means they get to know me better, get to know that, you know, there's no agenda. This is about the benefit of the organization. And hopefully then their perspective is different when it comes to grooming the next generation of leaders that they're looking out there and not, and, and not looking in terms of race or gender. They're looking in terms of leadership capabilities. The other important, important uh, for, for is to continue to lead in a um, technological and technologically changing environment. Uh, there's a lot of people now through podcasts, through social media, uh, through uh, webcasts, through virtual seminars, 
and whatever technology is going to happen in the future, reach people. I believe that in person, you touch someone, they touch you, is the best way to form a bond with someone. I will always believe that. But I believe that technology allows a way to get on someone's radar and allows people to learn that can draw them into you in an in-person way. And so as an organization, we've got to be mindful of that. And we've got to use all these social media platforms to reach people and to help them and to let them know that there is a way for them to be successful as a lawyer if they join our organization. And it does not have to mean you're the president of the organization. There are a lot of uh, attorneys within DRI that I know who built books of business and they did not eat, some of them didn't even uh, uh, become board members or committee chairs. What they did was they used their involvement in the organization to get their name out there to become known to people who then ultimately reached out to them and said, hey, I've got a client in your state who needs help or a direct client who reached out to them. And so through social media and technology, it is imperative that our organizations understand and grasp the importance uh, of those media to connect with uh, members and prospective members. And so that's one of the things we're focusing on DRI. That's one of the things that we talk about as a group as well. Besides, we talked uh, as a group uh, about diversity and inclusion. And then we're talking uh, as a group about other things that we can do for the benefit of the profession. Uh, one of the things that we do as presidents of our organizations is we participate in the ABOTA Roundtable, which is a consortium of bar leaders that come together that talk about issues that are affecting uh, the legal profession. And so we're looking at what issues are out there that affect the legal profession that we can all stand up together and impact in a positive way to, to make it better for, for those who are out there practicing law. And so uh, it's kind of hard to do, right? Because the NBA and the ABA are organizations that include everybody, right? Plaintiffs, lawyers, judges, you know, all practice areas, et cetera. The AAJ and the D and DRI are a little bit more narrow because the AAJ just deals with the plaintiff's bar and we just deal with the defense bar. So we're, you know, we have to thread that needle to find areas to work together, but we're working hard to do that. And like I said, there are, there are some issues that, that we've already um, decided that we're working together on. That's a, that's a hefty agenda. Um, and, uh, I feel like it's 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 promising from from my perspective at least to hear that uh that the leaders are are collaborative in their approach and also thinking about the future um because i know uh, like, like for myself i'm grateful for uh 
really embracing the the platform of Zoom. Uh, I have yet to have a podcast with an in-person guest sitting here. Um, I get to talk to really the best and brightest because, uh, you know, I'm open to speaking to anybody in whatever time zone or wherever location. Um, but uh, I want to switch gears and ask you, are there any particular challenges that you faced as as a younger man, as a young black lawyer, that you're hoping to see eliminated for future attorneys? Yeah, um, and I hear this all around the country. There, there are, as a defense lawyer, there are a lot of corporations who claim that they care about diversifying the legal profession. Mm-hmm. And they want, that, they want the law firms that they work with to be, be more diverse and they want more diverse women and diverse attorneys working on their matters. They say that. But what they're unwilling to do is take real ownership to make it happen. And so when I talk to women and diverse attorneys all around the country, one of the biggest problems or complaints they have is, yeah, I'm working with X corporation they care about diversity and inclusion, but the partner that I'm working for, he's just trying to churn and burn the associates. He wants to have them around for three or four years, not treat them extremely well, not promise them that they're gonna get the partnership or help them get the partnership, not share the wealth with them, which is the key to the whole thing. And so they leave. And what do they do? They go hire somebody else. And so I know people who have worked with corporations for over 20 years who have made millions of dollars from those corporations and have a beach house or a cabin or have built an extra wing onto their house, all with the theoretical promise to that corporation that they care about diversity and inclusion because they'll be on their firm's diversity committee, but never show up to any meetings. And they make millions of dollars and they've never made a woman or a diverse partner. And when they retire, they're not uh, handing over their business to women and diverse attorneys, they're handing it over to other people. And so that is a huge, huge frustration for women and diverse attorneys out there because they hear all this talk from these corporations, but there's no real true follow through from those corporations in order to make the change that they claim they want happen. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty tragic to watch, watch it all happen. Uh, I got a call uh, earlier this week from an um, African-American woman who's leaving her law firm because she had an opportunity to bring some clients in the door and the partner she was uh, working for wouldn't allow her to do it, which stunted her growth and stunted her path to become an equity partner. And so she left because she felt the new place that she was going to was going to allow her to bring in clients of her own. And so it was a lost opportunity for that law firm. I don't know whether they care or not. Um, so it is a challenge. It is still a struggle. Um, one of the things I, things that I know for sure is that if 
your client really wants something, you're going to comply with it. And if you don't, and they don't do anything about it, then why are you ever going to comply? And what's happening is a lot of corporations aren't doing anything about it. They're, and so they're never, they're only gonna get incremental progress in what they're asking for. It is a delay and kick, kick, kick it down the, the road type of uh, mentality that I'm hearing about uh, from a lot of women and diverse attorneys and they're frustrated. That is a different perspective than I would have thought. Um, so I, I was always under the impression that the way to affect change is, is like uh, uplifting um, people and minorities and people of color into better positions. But uh, I like, and I appreciate that perspective is that uh, it's really up to the consumers because you have to hit these law firms where it hurts, which is in their pocketbook, right? Um, if, if you're a consumer and you say you care about diversity, but you're not, uh, you're not willing to like, you know, give your business to someone else who's actually practicing diversity. Um, and you're just like what you said, burn and churn with, with associates or, or people aren't giving the, getting the right opportunities. Then, uh, why would that, that firm change the way that they're operating? You know, if, if, if you're not affecting their bottom line, unfortunately, that's, that's gonna continue because if that's ultimately what they care about, then, then that's where you have to hit them. Um, yeah, well, and there's, there's ways that corporations can positively affect a firm's bottom line without pulling away the business. And one of them simply is saying, I want the next time I come in town or the next time I have a general meeting of my outside counsel, I expect you to bring a woman or diverse attorney who's working on our matters. Hmm. And I want to sit down and talk with that person outside of your presence. And then the next time we meet, I want to see the same person, right? I don't want to see a different person. I want to see the same person. And I want to have a conversation with you, partner, about what you are specifically doing to make this person a partner in your law. Right? That's the, that's the discussion that has to happen. And see, here's why. If I'm a corporation and you have a woman or diverse attorney working on my matters, then my, my expectation is that you are pouring all of your knowledge and talents into that person so that they do the best job possible hmm. my matters. I don't want you putting some person working on my files who doesn't have the ability to do the best job possible. So my assumption is if you're putting them, if I say I want a diverse person working on my files or a woman working on my files, that you are doing everything you can to make them the best. And if you are doing everything you can to make them the best, then you should continue to do everything you can to make them a partner. And then at some point, yes, will I give that person business? Yes, but it doesn't have to be a zero sum game. Mm -hmm. it can still give you a lot of business, but give them the growth in business that's occurring. And so it becomes a win-win scenario for 
the partner for the young woman or diverse uh, associate who becomes a partner and for the client. But until the clients take total ownership of this, it's not going to happen, in my opinion. I appreciate that game plan. And uh, that gives me, a, a, honestly, a new direction to go in, uh, even for myself. Um, and I want to I wanna ask, how big do you think, how big a role can bar associations like yours play in creative, uh, creating like widespread change in the legal industry and helping to make the profession more inclusive? We can play a significant role because um, that's what happened with me. Uh, I came up under a partner who did not like the market, who had a book of business handed to him. And the question was, do I hang around and wait with the hope that maybe he'll hand me some of his business or do I make it happen on my own? My decision was to do it on my own because I didn't wanna wait for a maybe and get to the end and not be included. So, that's what drove me to DRI. That's what drove me to learn the things that I needed to learn on how to build a book of business. And the thing about it is, I got to tell you, in-house counsel are incredible people. They taught me a lot of things. There were, there were uh, Rick Richardson from GlaxoSmithKline, and I don't do pharmaceutical work, okay? But Rick spent time talking to me about to him and in an outside counsel and how outside counsel should work with in-house counsel to deliver the good, you know, the legal services that the in-house counsel needs. I learned from in-house counsel that it's important to be their strategic business partner, to understand their business and to um, work to take care of their business more so than to just bill on a file. So in-house counsel were incredible to me and I had access to them because of my involvement with DRI. I, I, I think this is probably the, the biggest question I'm gonna ask you. Um, and, and then this is a lot of pressure to put on one person, um, but I, I think your perspective really matters. Um, so I'm gonna ask, what would be your biggest piece of advice for minority lawyers, uh, women, people of color, uh, LGBTQ plus, um, who have been overlooked in the legal profession that might be listening to this interview right now and looking to, uh, looking to, to, to jumpstart their careers and get involved in stuff like this? Don't sit behind your desk, get involved, get involved with the bar organization, put yourself out there, get to know people, expand your network. If you have to spend your own money to do it because your firm won't support you, do it because you're investing in yourself. So I want to tell you something. Um, when, when I, uh, was coming close to becoming a partner, I decided to reach out to several African-American partners in Atlanta. Hmm. And one of the people that 
there were two people in particular that that I had lunch with who impacted me. One is uh, Bobby Shannon, and the other one's Ray Persons. And Ray Persons said to me, he said, Douglas, I had a mentor who used to ask me two questions. The first question is, Ray, what are you doing to get your name out there? And the second question was, Ray, are you doing enough to get your name out there? And the minute Ray told me that, it all came together for me. Because if people don't know you, your phone's not going to ring. So I encourage everyone to get involved. Meet people. Learn from them. People will help you. They'll help you grow. They'll spend time talking to you. Expand your base, your network on social media as well. But there is nothing better than sitting down with somebody at lunch or dinner or coffee or drinks and just having a conversation with them and them telling you little nuggets or tidbits that can help you progress in your career. It takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes commitment. It takes follow through. But there have been so many wonderful people who have given me their time that put me in the position that I am, from Cheryl Willard, the first uh, African-American president of DRI, to Toyja Kelly II, to Ben Wilson, who just retired, who's chairman of Beverage and Diamond, a law firm in Washington, DC, to my uh, good friend, Pamela Means, who's former president of the National Bar Association, to um, all the white males in DRI who saw something in me and uh, helped me progress from Mike Weston to Kerry Hilchin to Mark Williams, Matt Karens, et cetera, et cetera. So getting involved exposes you to so much information and so many people that that is the way to overcome the constraints that you may feel in a law firm, whether you are a plaintiff's lawyer or whether you are a defense lawyer are somewhere else. Because when I talked to Nevan Ward Jr., the plaintiff side of the bar has the same issues with diversity. They just don't have corporate counsel uh, uh, impacting it. But they have some of the same issues when it comes to diversity and inclusion. So it's, it's happening in the legal profession uh, in general. And there are so many organizations. We are the four leading organizations, DRI, the AHA, the ABA, the NBA, we're the four largest, but there are a lot of groups out there that if you get involved and have meaningful involvement, that you are going to be helped and you are going to grow and you are going to benefit. I can certainly see why, uh, why you were elected the leader of the, of the DRI. Um, and Douglas, I want to thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Um, and I wanted to give a special thank you to all of our, lit our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this conversation and we'll be back with another episode of Everything Except the Law soon. Be sure to check out previous episodes of our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and the Answering Legal YouTube channel and links to uh, Douglas's law firm and all of the resources that we spoke about will be in the description below. See you next time, everyone. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.